0: through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. This is, uh, Labor Days are uh, uh, full of pomp and circumstance, again, cookouts, barbecues, hanging out with friends. There's a lot of red, white, and blue. Uh, But we have to ask ourselves, why do we not celebrate May Day as Labor Day? Why do we allow for the distraction? Why is the conversation centered around, like it is all around the world, why is it not centered on revolution? Why is it not centered on people? Why is it not centered on the fact that the people united can never be defeated? Greetings. This is your host, Jamal Brown. You are listening to the Gist of Freedom Radio Show, and tonight we will be discussing Labor Day, its roots. Why do we celebrate it? Many of us come to know Labor Day as simply that last day before school starts. Some of us know Labor Day as the end of summer, and yet others of us just know, hey, it's a day off. I get to barbecue in the park, hang out with my friends. I, I must admit, I was not too well versed on Labor Day and all of its significance. And thankfully, I'm a part of a team, a great team, a team with our show's producer, Ms. Leslie Gist, Ms. Gist of Freedom. And she pulled my coattail and provided me with some insight and information about what Labor Day is all about. And for that, I am thankful. And in the fashion of the Gist of Freedom, we will be breaking it down, making it relevant. We like to make the information that is little known, well known to you. Again, I am your host, Jamal Brown. You are listening to the Gist of Freedom radio show. And we will be talking about why we had a day off on Monday, what that was all about, and the antecedents, things that came before Labor Day as we know it in this country. Uh, tonight's show won't be too, too long. And then we just always like to be relevant, always like to be up to date, bring you current events, and educate you on history, make history alive and well for you. Like we always do, we understand that images shape our reality, so we will be providing you with some corresponding images. Without any further ado, let me share my screen. Again, Labor Day It's more than just a day in the park. It's more than just hanging out with friends, picking hot dogs. It's more than just, oh, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student, and I know I have to go back to school. Uh, this picture is a little bit blurry, but I just wanted to share this with you. On March 3rd, 1807, President Thomas Jefferson signed into law an act importation of slaves. That passed by Congress the day before. Like much history, there oftentimes is an African root. We are the first people on the planet, so it only makes sense that virtually all things Tracing back goes back to us. As you may know, as many of us don't know, January 1st, 1808, the ban, the international ban on the slave trade goes into effect. The ship manifest were required at ports as proof the slaves had not been imported after 1808. These ship's manifest contain detailed information about the ship owner and the slaves. And so, Everything has a cause and an effect. There's no up with no down, no east with no west, no light with no dark, no right with no left. Mother Jamal, make it plain. Break it down. What are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that in eighteen oh seven, March third, the ban on the importation of African people went and was signed, meaning no new Africans in the colonies, no new Africans. In this country, we do know beyond a shadow of a doubt there were pirates, there were jitneys, if you will, there were swift boats, fast boats that certainly got around blockades, there was always bribes. So Africans still were being imported into the United States after this date. However, on paper, importing Africans was outlawed. You might be saying to yourself, Brother Jamal, this is January 1st, 1808. I know a little bit about history. It wasn't until 1865 in which African people uh, walked off the plantations. You are 100% correct. June 19th, 1865, many of us celebrated this year. June 10th is when the final Africans walked off the plantations in Galveston, Texas. January 1st, 1865. Um, three is when the Emancipation Proclamation supposedly went into effect, bring us, but again, it was January 1st, 1808, where the importation of enslaved Africans was outlawed. And so that was the cause, and the effect was in and around this country, other people were then forced to provide. The labor, those who owned plantations, those who owned factories, those who sought to have cheap labor, in our case free labor, to create and materialize and construct products, uh, they wanted to do what they always did: continue to manufacture, to continue to create, continue to have industry. And again, they saw the abolition of the importation. They saw the ceasing or stopping of importing Africans as, obviously, we no longer have free labor. We no longer have cheap labor. And so what began to happen is that uh, English white people began picking on other white people. Uh, they began picking on uh, Italians. They began picking on Irish and began uh, having them work in factories and Jews manual labor. Thus began labor organizing. Thus began people wanting rights. Uh, As much as the Irish, as much as the Italians uh, were up for doing work, by no means did they want to be treated like those Africans. So early on, they wanted to organize and they wanted to uh, unionize and have rights. But before we get to Labor Day in the United States, understand that there was an International Workers' Day that predates the Labor Day as we know it in these United States. 1865, Australian stonemasons, uh, undertook a mass stoppage as a part of an eight-hour day movement. That's right. What we know as Labor Day in this country did not actually start in this country. It had its roots outside of this country. Uh, There were organizers, there were people who wanted an eight-hour workday, who wanted fair pay, who wanted to be fairly compensated, who wanted to work uh, environments that were safe, and they began to come together, and they began to uh, unionize in other parts of the world. Again, Australia is one of the earliest examples of that. Again, I'm your host, Jamal Brown, you're listening to the Just the Freedom radio show, You can listen to some of our previously recorded shows. There are over 500 shows that are recorded. You can find them out at BlackHistoryUniversity.com, BlackHistoryUniversity.com. Again, they call me Mr. Black365, and you can find out more about me and what I do at Black365.com. Again, talking about the impact of people united ceasing or resisting and making sure that they're never defeated. Again, why is there a Labor Day in this country? Where did those roots come from? International Workers' Day began in the early or the mid-1800s. So let me, let me go back to that. Uh, International Workers' Day is celebrated all around the world on May 1st. That's right. May 1st is Labor Day all around the world. I'm talking in Angola. Ghana, Ethiopia, Namibia, all parts of Africa. There is a labor day. Some call it workers' day, some call it Labor Day, but it really is a time where people understand, and appreciate, and respect and emphasize the worker and appreciate the work that it is that the masses of people do. You got to understand that it's few people that own reason, own corporations. It's the masses of people that provide the labor, provide the structure with the energy, the life force that uh, that allows manufacturing of goods and services to take place. Uh, So again, let's look at the roots of Labor Day in this country. Uh, There was an infamous event it goes by a number of different names, but one of the most popular names is the Haymarket Riot. You can Google that. The Haymarket Riot. Uh, after a bombing that took place at a labor demonstration on May 4, 1886, people understood the rights, people understood the reasons, people understood the basis for providing workers with more respect. This was a very, very bloody. Just like International Workers' Day, it had a bloody beginning. See. Hoping that you all can see my screen here, I am showing a picture of the Haymarket Riot. <laughs> Go back. Uh, but again, the Haymarket Riot, uh, there was, there were employers who wanted to keep their thumb on the workers. There were 12, 14, 16, even sometimes 18-hour days, unhealthy, unsanitary conditions. And the people wanted something different. It was fashion. You are literally under the thumb of the controlling elite. The people wanted something different. So they took the streets in Chicago. Uh, someone threw a bomb into the crowd. Uh, there were some officers who were injured, some were murdered shots rang out on both sides however once dust settled people realized that there needed to be something else something different let's have a conversation move towards an eight-hour work day that really is one of the biggest manifestations the biggest things that came out of organizing unionizing and labor movements the fact that we have nine to five and then uh, eight divorce, and we have safe working conditions. These are indeed the facts. We're going to keep moving here. Um, the very first Labor Day is shrouded in somewhat of a mystery. There were two men, Matthew McGuire and Peter McGuire. No relation, as you can see from the screen, they actually had two different spellings of their last name. There was Labor Day parade. The very first one recorded was on September fifth, eighteen eighty-two, in New York City. And so here in this country, uh, this is this is uh, Labor Days are uh, uh, full of pomp and circumstance. Again, cookouts, barbecues, hanging out with friends. There's a lot of red, white, and blue. Uh, but we have to ask ourselves, why do we not? celebrate May Day as Labor Day? Why do we allow for the distraction? Why is the conversation centered around like it is all around the world? Why is it not centered on revolution? Why is it not centered on people? Why is it not centered on the fact that the people united can never be defeated? Why is it not centered on the fact that when people come together, there is nothing that cannot he moves When people come together, we can demand change because it was our dear brother Frederick Douglass who told us power conceived nothing without a demand and never has and never will. Let me say that one more time. Frederick Douglass told us power conceived nothing without a demand and never has and never will. And so, again, Labor Day truly is a time where people should be celebrating revolution, should be celebrating the coming together of people causing a complete and utter change, not simply parades and dancing and drinking and hanging out, not rabble-rousing, but understanding that they were fruit the efforts and energies of people. But again, 1882, September 5th, New York City, there were parades, and pomp and circumstance and page- uh, pageantry. And again, it's not real clear whether it was Matthew McGuire or Peter McGuire who was a part of this union uh, and saw the results that we saw. But I think that safe, in my opinion, uh, we need to take it serious. We need to go back to the roots and understand um, that there are people at the beginning of Labor Day, who lost their lives, made the ultimate sacrifices so that better working conditions could be here today. And it is somewhat of a slap in the face to all those lives that are lost. When we think about we are in an epidemic right now, and there are doctors and nurses and responders who are on the front line risking their lives and they don't have proper protective equipment. Again, these conversations, people lost their lives. People demanded proper working conditions way back in the early 1800s. Why is this even a conversation going on today? Excuse me. Excuse me. People are flying jets. People are flying kites, hopping streamers and all these things when we're not paying attention we're not honoring those who have made the ultimate sacrifice and those who continue to make the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, President Grover Cleveland signed legislation on June 28, 1894, designating Labor Day as a national holiday in the United States as a peace offering following a deadly railroad workers' strike. African people are the engine that drives that movement. We are the fuel, not only the engine, but the fuel that drives those movements in the center of the screen. You see a man six foot three, 250 pounds built like an Oak. Some say he was the tallest tree in the forest. I'm talking about none other than the incomparable, the mighty, a brother who's very beloved on the show. This will not be the last time you hear his name spoken. I guarantee you that none other than Paul Robeson. Paul Robes and On principle Paul Robeson Spoke For the voices Paul Robeson Was beloved by the people He loved people and the people loved him The people in power However were afraid of him They trembled When that baritone voice Began to speak Because he constantly spoke truth to power Constantly lifted up the voice lifted up the message of the little man. What he did was ensure that people were properly represented. And so he was oftentimes seen on the front lines. oftentimes seen standing against major corporations and what have you. I was reading and doing some research about our dear brother Paul, and some corporations, some people who had provided him money for, for shows and entertainment, told him, if you go to this rally, and the sort of government officials as well told him, you know, if he attended this rally, that something bad was going to happen to him. They threatened Paul's life if he joined some workers. They told him not to speak on the matter at all. And so what Paul did, because he's a genius, Paul called in and spoke phone to the radio and sang songs and gave hours and hours of speeches across the radio waves. Is that okay? You don't want me to show up to the one particular rally? I won't show up. But what he did was use his mind to make him be even more effective And whereas he was possibly able to reach hundreds or thousands, he reached tens of thousands by uh, singing and putting forth the message of the union organizers via the radio. This here is Paul in another country. I'm not exactly sure what country this is. He spent a lot of time in Russia, but he traveled all over the world organizing, traveled all over the world, being a voice for the voices. He traveled all over the world, again, serving as a manifestation of – Contrast, standing as a manifestation of I am going to be against the system. I am with the people. He was blackballed. Paul port was revoked by the U.S. government. He went from making over $100,000 a year as an entertainer to making less than $6,000 a year in this country. This is how powerful this man was. This is how strong This man was. Paul Rose, truly, truly a giant, a man for the people. At the Gist of Freedom Radio, we always want to be able to give you the best of our ability a monument that you can go see, that you can go touch, as well as a documentary that you can pull up. So we encourage you to check out Slavery by Another Name. This documentary explains. Uh, Things like Avery Newby's 13th Amendment, again, about how the energy, the essence, the people uh, are oftentimes exploited. Uh, The 13th Amendment uh, has a caveat in it that is important for you to know, that your freedom can be taken away. You can be reduced nearly to the level of a slave if you have committed a crime. Again, this country, not trying to be too political, but just have to tell the truth. That's what we do at Black 365. That's what we do at Black History University.com. We tell the truth here on the Freedom Radio. It might not be easy to swallow, but it will be the truth. You can guarantee that. This country was built on exploitation. Capitalism, by its very nature, by its very essence, by its very definition, requires the control to be in the hands of a few and the work of many producing, laboring, toiling in order for the profits to go to the top. And there's a thought, there's a theory that there will be a trickle down effect. But folks like you folks like you and me understand that very little of anything trickles down. I'm just trying to keep it real. I'm just speaking, speaking truth. And so you have to understand, again, there were things like black codes during the Reconstruction era where it said there were things like vagrancy laws where I'm talking right out of enslavement. Shortly after 1863, shortly after 1865, if a black man or a black woman was found sitting on the street, they can go to jail and be put on a chain gang for 99 years. If you got caught stealing a chicken, Stealing a watermelon, doing anything to eat. Mind you, you just got out of enslavement where you lived your whole life, your parents lived their whole life, their grandparents lived their entire life. Nowhere for you to go. No bootstraps for you to pick up. Pick yourself up from. No buckets. They say drop your bucket where you like. Well, you we had no bucket to even drop. And, brothers, were given 99-year sentences. Go directly to jail. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. And again, not much has changed when we see people getting thrown in jail for parking tickets, getting their license revoked for child support and things of that nature. Again, the energy, the privatization of prisons, the energy of black bodies energies of the poor and working class is what gives the lifeblood of this economy. And so tying it all back, looping back around, that is why unionization is so important. People coming together and struggling. People coming together and pressing. People coming together and fighting for better conditions. Not being... Satisfied with mediocrity, but pushing for fairness, pushing for balance, pushing for order and justice and harmony and truth is always, always important. Take a look at this here. This comes to us in 1835 news article. Uh, There was a strike. Um, This is from Patterson. Excuse me. Uh, Our town has been in a state of considerable excitement during the last four or five weeks and consequence of the strike of some of the mill boys for the 11-hour system. Every mill in town has been standing still during this time. Uh, There's no prospect of a speedy settlement. You read that right. This is the hometown of our uh, fabulous, fabulous host, this is her It's the, the area of, uh, of our host. Uh, so she knows this story very well. She did much by way of educating and informing me and bringing me up to speed on some of the particulars of this. Let's just take a look at some of the things that stood out to me. There was a strike. It lasted four or five weeks. What were they striking for? What was the conflict? What was the issue? The 11-hour system. Where people were working from five in the morning to six at night. People were working it from four in the morning to five p.m. And who was working? Mill boys. You see that there in the middle of the screen. Mill boys. I'm not talking about adult, adult men, adult women. I'm not talking about people in their early twenties. I'm not talking about teenagers. These were boys. Here's a picture of some of these young people. They were machinists. They were almost like jockeys, almost like cattle. Again, these were some Irish. These were oftentimes Italians. Again, when they could no longer exploit the Africans, and they wanted to pay folks a little bit of money, they paid these uh, folks who came to Ellis Island. The Confederates said the actual silkworm, the insect, the thing in the trees that Uh, newspaper boys, uh, but again, there were. there was a time in this country that's unlike this time. Again, there's no kids uh, that small working today, and these kids, in fact, sold newspapers, uh, obviously, and but they too went on strike. There were uh, the newsies again went on strike, demanding better working conditions, i.e., less hours. Um, uh, the Pulitzers, uh, those uh, those involved with Pulitzers, uh, fought against uh, these young people who were attempting to organize and attempting to demand better conditions for themselves. Disney has a film about this. Uh, the name is escaping me right now. Oh, no, it's called The Newsies. Uh, the Newsies. Disney film called The Newsies. E-E-W-S-I-E-S. Uh, I don't know how good it is. Uh, I haven't seen it, but uh, I understand that there is a film about the labor movement, the labor unions, and the organizing of these folks. Again, just take a moment and digest what you see in this photo. Kids on strike. We only ask for justice. We want to go to school. It has passed this year, however... God willing, we get to make it to see Labor Day 2021. I say that with laughs, because again, 22, 2020 has been a struggle. And but uh, assuming that we're blessed with the opportunity to see Labor Day 2021, I ask you to take a moment and reflect on our African ancestors, those who lived, struggled, and died those who were exploited to the point of death, those who paid the ultimate sacrifice to allow us to be who we are and what we are today, and then understand how their energy, their essence, their lives were not in vain because what happened when we revolted, we helped speed up the process of stopping the enslavement of African people, and the reaction that happened from there was the exploitation of Italians, the exploitation of Irish, and the exploitation of children of all races. Again, check out this sign. We want to go to school. Again, children were being exploited. Labor Day comes to us as an outgrowth of these sorts. Lumens. I'm reminded of the fact that the uh, Colt gun manufacturer, uh, the owner uh, hired his daughter to teach the kids for two hours. Again, they had kids working in manufacturing plants, two hours a week. I'm talking, I'm not talking about two hours a day, two hours a week. Again, Colt gun manufacturer, the head of that hired. Uh, one of his daughters, to teach kids two hours a week how to read. And I'm sure that purpose of that instruction was so that they could read the things um, in the factory. We don't want to go back to this. There is a digital divide in this country. Uh, I am all in favor of practical knowledge and practical information. I'm all in favor of trades being taught. I feel that people should have the choice to learn trades and the choice to learn real-life applicable knowledge of information. Again, the digital divide must be conquered. I live here on the West Coast in Los Angeles area, in Los Angeles, proper, and on the outskirts of Los Angeles. Let me say it this way. You see the extremes in the area that I'm in. You see some school where every single child has a laptop, and you see some schools where there's one laptop cart for the entire grade level. We have money for wars, but sometimes we can't educate our poor. We have money for prisons. Some people promote the privatization of prisons. There are prisons on the stock market. We seem to find money. seems seem to be able to print money out of thin air. But when it comes to our children, there sometimes is an issue with finding funds. And that is out of balance. That is going to have us on a road to assured destruction. They say that young people – Are 17%, I believe, of our population. However, I understand, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that young people are 100% of our future. It's important that we do not go back to times like this photo where children are being uneducated. Let's keep moving. Uh, This is an example of a waterfall. People like Alexander Hamilton and others wanted to switch from. Using child labor to using waterfalls, the the Great Falls. I wanted to use the um, waterfall to power the mills and provide um, green energy. Again, this is not green energy is not a new concept. Uh, There was talks about again not using slave labor, not using child labor, but using nature, uh, using uh, water energy, using the flow of water to provide, again, electricity and to provide power, to power the mills and power all sorts of uh, industrial needs that we had. Um, Again, Alexander Hamilton was a uh, forward thinker, uh, someone who uh, was perhaps before his time. Uh, There's a thought. I always like to throw this in there. Uh, There's a thought that uh, Alexander Hamilton was indeed uh, had – a fair dose of African blood in him. Uh, but we, we believe that his mother had some African blood in him, and some people say that his father might have been uh, part African as well. Uh, that's just as an aside, just uh, something for you to chew on. But uh, again, Nikola Tesla, Alexander Hamilton, these are some forward thinking folks, some folks who, uh, again, were perhaps before their time, folks who wanted to use the Niagara Falls and other falls, the Great Falls, to uh, power industry. Uh, we have this photo in here. Obviously, fast forwards uh, this here. If I'm not mistaken, comes to us from uh, Memphis of the final acts of our dear beloved brother, Dr. Martin Luther King. He was in Memphis doing what? Working on behalf of the people, the Poor People's March. It was one of the marches that he was part of. The March in Memphis. Where there were tremendous labor disputes, sanitation workers, brothers, had unsafe working conditions, had poor routes, had poor so poorly equipped, no PPE. It's funny how when you are not educated about history, that you are doomed to repeat that history. When you are not educated and empowered, when you have not taken the valuable lessons that history has for us, you are doomed to repeat the ugly part of that history. And it's oftentimes magnified, like all things in the world, like all things in the universe, things grow, things expand. (laughs) So the ugly part of history expands. The negative part of history expands. The brothers in Memphis, 1968, had no PPE. And what happened? They were dying. The king saw that there was no balance, no justice, no harmony, no order, no truth, no propriety there. And so he used his energy, used his voice the night of that speech where he says, I have seen the mountaintop. He was sick. Some say he shouldn't have went on. Some say he shouldn't have been in Memphis. However, he wanted to ensure that brothers in Memphis, those sanitation workers, had PPE, proper protective equipment, Brothers were losing arms, losing legs, the trash machines, and at the plant because of the lack of proper protective equipment. And again, our brothers raised up the cry of, I am a man. What did that mean? What did that say? It wasn't just something quick and flashy and catchy. But no, it was saying that I, according to this Constitution, should have the right to life, liberty suit of happiness. Supposedly protected. Supposedly spelled out. Supposedly driven. Supposedly in an unalienable right. And Luther King said, I am a man. Recognize. I am a man. Uh, recognize my humanity. These are brothers. These are sons. These are uncles. These are cousins. These are fathers who are losing their lives. So again, When we think of labor, our creator always seems to provide us with what we need to get by. We had Martin Luther King. We had Malcolm X. We had
1: innumerable,
0: innumerable unnamed individuals. Going back, for those who believe those good old Bible stories, we had manna from heaven that allowed us to get through the desert. I'm sure that we will continue to get by, but we must always keep our eyes on organizing, using our energy collectively. Understand that those no racists, no fascist colonizers, nothing will be able to stop a people who are united. We're almost wrapping up here. I wanted to show you this house here. Uh, Again, our show's producer, Ms. Leslie Gist, Just the Freedom. It's actually a good time for some station identification. You are listening to Jamal Brown, aka Mr. Black Three Sixty Five, founder and creator of a whole host of Black History products found at Black365.com. You are listening to the Just of Freedom Radio Show. Over five hundred shows have been recorded prior to this one. And you, yes, you, you can go back and listen to all 500 of those shows, those shows have been listened to a cumulative of 30,000-plus times. Don't be the last person to listen to it. Tell a friend to tell a friend, Black History University and iHeartRadio, you can find all of our previous shows. Uh, Apple iTunes as well. This house here that you're looking at is located right outside of Patterson, New Jersey uh, New Jersey, in Heldon, H-A-L-D-E-O-N, please forgive me if I pronounce that wrong, Uh, the city of H-A-L-E-D-O-N. This is the Bodo House, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right as well, B-O-T-O House, and this has been registered on the uh, National Landmark uh, as a National Historic Place, a place to be celebrated, a place to be looked at and traveled to. Uh, and our illustrious host actually went to this place uh, and checked it out on Labor Day. You can read this packer that sits outside of there. Um, in essence, what uh, the long and short in the year 1913 in Patterson, New Jersey, there was a great silk strike. And the uh, Owners of the manufacturing plants uh, have their goon squads out, and were uh, wanting the people who were not working, who were striking, to be uh, beat upside the head if they were out and about. Uh, these people, uh, the both uh, Pietro and Maria, opened up their home to the uh, organizers and said, "Hey, you can have safe refuge here. You can plan. You can organize. You can give speeches. You can pass out information." Uh, here in our home, and there were some days that there were up to 20,000 people who flooded the street outside of this home, uh, all there seeking one thing, seeking peace, seeking justice, seeking honor, seeking better working conditions, and this is what this house is all about. in 1982, it was declared a national uh, landmark. Uh, we're going to close this show here in a few moments. I'm going to show you uh, a, a brief portion of a clip that was provided to us by our show's producer, Ms. Leslie Just Freedom. Uh, again, she took her family on an educational trip there this Monday to check out the history of this landmark. And so, listen in and thank you all for listening. We'll actually close the show with uh, scenes from the video that she was able to take. As always, I am honored and pleased that you have taken a portion of your time to uh, share with me. I understand that I love history on an extreme level. Our goal, our purpose is not to turn you into history fans like we are, but simply provide you with facts, provide you with truth, provide you with perspectives and information and angles that you may not have already had in order to educate and inform you, please, please, please use the hashtag Black Scouts or Black Scouts. Uh, we're also on TikTok too, by the way. We're also on TikTok. I don't know anything about TikTok. We have a producer in training, who I'm sure is the reason uh, for the fact that we have a TikTok. <laughs> uh, again, we want to provide a, a source. We want to be a source for homeschoolers. It seems like the whole country is homeschooling at this point. But uh, for those who are official homeschoolers or who are unofficial homeschoolers, uh, again, we want to serve as a repository, as a source of interesting and uplifting uh, and additional information that isn't simply inside of your textbook. Uh, we want to turn each of you into uh, tourists. We want you to tour your town, tour your area, tour your surroundings, and discover black history that is around you the history that's around you, how it's connected to us. Um, Again, we want you to use the hashtag Black Scouts, Black Scouts, um, and inform us of places, people, events, instances, and ideas that you're aware of, that you want us to shine a spotlight on, that you want us to highlight. We want you to be our tour guide, in fact. We'll uh, have you on and interview you as you show us the black history in your area of town, your neck of the woods. Um, again, we're on Facebook Live. Be sure to check out our Facebook Live. Be sure to check out our YouTube. Uh, look for Black History University or look for just a Freedom uh, Radio in YouTube. Look for Black 365 and YouTube as well. You can follow us for healthy discussions, healthy dialogue, and information about our history. Again, use hashtag BlackScouts in order to um, let us know about some Black history that you would like us to shine a spotlight on. Again, I'm your gracious host, Jamal Brown, a.k.a. black 365 Check out Black365.com for information about me. Check out BlackHistoryUniversity.com, iHeartRadio.com. Apple iTunes, I hope I've said everything, and now let's take a look at some video from our show's producer. Let yeah. me stop sharing screen here. Let go here. Hopefully I'm queued up. Thank you for bearing with me.
1: And these are images of Pietro and Maria Bado, who owned this house and allowed 25,000 silk mill workers to come here during the 1913 Patterson Silk Strike. That's why this house is famous throughout the entire world. because. This house was known as an oasis for free speech where people could come here and, and and talk about their problems with the workplace. Because in Patterson, there were 298 silk mills and the workers were not happy with what was going on there and they all walked out at one time closing down the silk industry for nearly six months. were in jail and everything. Two people were even killed. Oh, no. But the mayor of Halden said, you could come to my town My police force of one will not bother you. And Pietro allowed them to meet here because at that time, in 1913, this house sat in the middle of a big, big field. I'll show you a picture of all of the strikers outside of the house. Standing in right now. And these are 25,000 workers standing outside of it. And they went out on strike, and these are the labor leaders who stood on the balcony and kept them inspired. We're gonna go up on that balcony right now so you can get a feeling Because the energy of those labor leaders and the energy of the strikers is still here. And that's the truth. So this is where the labor leaders spoke, and this is where they all assembled. There weren't houses over here. The only house that was here was that one on that corner. And fortunately for us, the woman who lived there was a photographer. So because of her, her name is Dorothy Cerruti, we have pictures of the strikers. Otherwise, we wouldn't even have them. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. When we bought clothes years ago, we always looked for a label that said it was union made and made in America. These women were paid well. They had a, they had a pension contributions. They had health care. They had a very strong union. They made these designer clothes that sold for enough money for them to have a living wage, and then all hell broke loose when manufacturing went abroad. Under which president? Well, it started with Ronald Reagan, and it just kept growing after that. It fought for the 19th Amendment to be passed. Mm -hmm. And uh, last week, on August the 26th, was the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment. So Mm we had all the really cool songs playing. Mm -hmm. R e s p e c t. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. yeah, We had some really good women's <laughs> songs playing and blasting. We were here till ten thirty that night. We had so much fun. Tonight at nine thirty, the News Nation Radio is going to be interviewing me on the Pullman strike that took place um, and what what impact it had upon our country as far as the labor movement. And so it's uh, going to take place tonight on September the 7th. Okay, so George Pullman owned the railroad, (laughs) and and when he had his port, he decided that he wanted to make these railroad cars where people could recline and sleep in them. So he hired men who were predominantly men of color, and he called every single man, regardless of his name, George, yeah, and these men had really horrendous working conditions, and went out on strike, and had a great impact on the um, on not initially nothing happens right away, but eventually on the rights of working men. Was it violence? Did violence take place? Yes, there was there was violence. There, when you have strikes, there's always those
0: who try to counteract it with uh, weapons. Okay. Yeah.